Good morning. Today's passage comes from Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is God's word. You may be seated. We continue in the Living Stones series today, and there is a very, very simple, straightforward message here that most of you caught right away when you heard Peter reading these words. From chapter uh, 50 here in verse 19 and 20, Joseph said to his brothers, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And you can all imagine how uh, that lesson might apply to you. You can all imagine how there are things that are happening in your life that are important to you, that are, that are everyday sorts of things that you recognize as evil that's being done to you. And you might see this and you might take hope in the fact that God intends these things for good. Even though people are working evil against you, even though there's evil going on in the world around you, you might see this and say, that's, that's good, that God intends this for good because I see no good in this. And that's not wrong. You should see that. You should think that. But as we continue in our series this morning, I want you to think bigger. I want you to think about something much greater than just your problem this morning. Whatever it is. And it could be a very serious problem. Don't, don't hear me minimize your problem. Because I know that represented in our congregation, there are deaths in the family, there's serious illness, there's broken relationships, there's all kinds of serious trials. So don't, don't hear me minimize your trials, but I want you to think bigger than yourself this morning because God is doing something much bigger than each of us individually. As we look at what has happened so far in this series, we see that from Abram, before he's even called Abraham, from Abram to Joseph, God is making a people that didn't exist before. He is creating a people out of Abraham. <clears throat> he says, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make you a people that didn't exist before. This wasn't a thing. Now it is a thing. We see that happening from Abram uh, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Esau even, right? Ishmael even. God is making peoples that are not peoples. He's making Israel a people and now from Moses to Joshua going forward, we're going to see him build a nation. So that's different. It's not just a people. It's also a nation. It's a group on a national stage that has significance that it hasn't had before. And he's going to bring them through slavery to do that. He's going to bring them through a trial in the wilderness to do that. But this is what God is doing. He is taking people who are not a people and making them people. He's taking people who are not a nation and making them a nation. And God is still doing this 
today. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. We read this this past fall. And Peter reassures his audience with these same words, these same ideas that we are seeing in the Old Testament. Okay, And Peter is not just talking to Jews anymore. The church now is made up of people beyond just the Jewish people, beyond just the Jewish race. So in 1 Peter 2, chapter uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, that's God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this morning, as we talk about what it means to turn evil to good, I want you to think bigger than just what's going on in your life. I want you to think about the fact that God in the Old Testament and God in the New Testament and God today is turning evil into good so that people who are not a people can come together and be a people, can have an identity in him. So that people who are not a nation can become a nation. And I'm not talking about any single nation that's represented on earth because all of those will fail and fade away. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. So God has been doing that. God is doing that. And we do need to talk about evil that others intend toward us and the evil that we intend toward others. But ultimately, as we get to God's intentions, I want you to think much bigger than just today and just in your own life. Let's pray a minute. Heavenly Father, please help us to see what it is that you intend in truth. Lord, not just in our lives, but for all lives and all time. Help us to grasp just a little bit what your bigger plan is, Lord, so that we can magnify you all the more. Lord, because for as big as your plan is, it does involve us as individuals, as people with personal problems. So we praise you for that. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see what you're doing, what you have been doing, and what you are doing. Ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we talk about evil. What are we talking about? Last fall, when uh, we spoke in First Peter about what it means for us to encounter evil and confront evil, I said that evil is more than just, bigger than just, things that go bump in the night. Right? We like to think about evil as just dark and scary. But evil is more than just dark and scary. Evil can be anywhere. Evil is very simply working against God's will. You don't have to have a big scary monster for evil. You can have bright sunshine and a pleasant little child and have evil. In Genesis 2, uh, right at the beginning of the scriptural narrative, right at the beginning of humanity... God takes man, puts him in the garden. He says, you can have any tree you want to eat of except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Any tree. It's all food for you. So which, which tree do you suppose man chose? The one he couldn't have, right? That's evil. That's working against God's will. Psalm 14.3 says, they have all. Who's they? They is all of us. It's humanity. It's all of mankind. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And understand here, we're not talking about everybody being a murderer, everybody going out and doing the worst thing possible. All it takes to do evil is to hear what God says and to look up at him and say, no. How many of you encountered this with your children this morning getting ready for church? Anybody? 
Time to put your shoes on. No. Time to put your clothes on. No. Wives, encounter this with your husbands this morning. Time to put your shoes on. No. More like time to get out of bed. Although you're the wrong group for that, right? It's the other service that I have to say that to. It does not take big and scary and mean to be evil. It just takes telling God no. Anything that is working against God's will. So as we talk about what it means for evil to be intended toward us, for, for other people to intend evil, understand that we are, not, we are not limiting it to the biggest and the worst. We're talking about everyday sorts of things. It's people seeking to take from other people. That's one verse in Genesis chapter 35. And if you're not familiar uh, at all with the larger story, let me just tell you some stories here from Genesis, from Joseph's life, from his family's life, because I think those stories are going to help us to illustrate what we're talking about this morning when we say that some people intend evil and God intends uh, good and he wants to turn that evil into good. So let's take some examples. So this first example of people taking from others In Genesis chapter 35, we learn that Reuben, who is Jacob's oldest son, Jacob's oldest son who has the birthright, Reuben stands to inherit everything. There's there's, uh, 11 brothers, and all 11 brothers have to share one inheritance, and Reuben gets the majority portion, right? That's how it's set up, because the oldest always inherits. So Reuben is set to inherit. He is going to get all that his father has. That's the way the law works. That's the way the system is set up. And in Genesis 35, 22, we learn that Reuben sleeps with his father's concubine. He's not content to inherit all that his father has. He wants to take his father's wife as well. And we have no idea what that scenario is, right? We have no idea what the age gap is. We have no idea what the circumstances are. All we know is what the scripture tells us is that Reuben did this and Jacob heard about it and there are consequences later. And the consequences later... The consequences later is that Reuben loses that inheritance. And we see later in Jacob's blessing that Judah is going to rise to prominence, which is important for us to understand because that's where Jesus is going to come from, right? Where David is going to come from. So God's going to intend that for good, but people are going to seek to take from others just like Reuben did, just like some of you have experienced. Some of you have spouses who have looked at other men and other women and they have said, I want that one and I don't want my spouse. I'm going to take that one. And they've intended evil towards you in that way. And sometimes it's a whole lot smaller. Sometimes it's just something that you want, right? Sometimes it's just somebody cutting in line. There are all kinds of ways that we take from other people intending evil toward them. People seeking to hurt other people. Hopefully none of you have done this, right? Genesis chapter 37, another story from the the life of Jacob's family, from the life of Joseph. This is when Joseph's brothers conspire to kill him, right? That's their first plan. Let's kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they say. You know right then that it's bad, right? They're not referring to him as their brother. They're not even referring to him as their father's son. They're referring to him as that dreamer, that person who has dreamed this dream where we bow down to him. Well, let's make him bow down to us, right down into the dirt. People seek to hurt other people all the time. They intend evil in this way. And both of these things 
seeking to take from others, seeking to hurt other people, are ultimately people seeking to make themselves God. Did you notice when Joseph, uh, Joseph's brothers come to him, Joseph's brothers come to him and they say, hey, uh, before dad died, he said that you should forgive us, which by the way, we have no record of in scripture, right? For all we know, his brothers made that up. His brothers said to Joseph, maybe if we tell him that dad told him to, he'll forgive us. And Joseph's response is, am I in the place of God? And the reason he has to ask that question is because his brothers have put themselves in that place time and again. And there are many other stories that we could point to. Times when his brothers take the law into their own hands. Times when his brothers uh, say they're going to do one thing and then do something else. Times when his brothers steal from others, when they hurt other people. They have absolutely imagined themselves to be in God's place time and again. And Joseph says, you can't think that way. I'm not thinking that way. Don't think of me that way. I'm not in God's place. But that's what happens when we intend evil toward others. And the consequence, the upshot of that, is that when evil is intended toward others, it prevents us from being a people. It prevents us from being a family. You know this if you are in a family where people intend evil toward one another. You know this if you're in a family where people take from others in the house and where they try to hurt others in the house. You experience this on a daily basis. It is nearly impossible to be a family in that situation. You don't know how to connect with each other. You don't know how to relate to each other. You can't rely on one another. And you see people trying to make themselves God all the time. And a natural response often in that case is that we say, well, you can't be God because I'm God. And if you're going to take from me, then I'm going to take from you. And if you're going to hurt me, then I'm going to hurt you. This is what happens when people intend evil toward each other. We can't be who God intends us to be. We can't be a family. There's also the evil that we intend. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. This is the same psalm that I quoted from earlier. We don't like to apply that to ourselves, right? We like to say things like, hey, yesterday was a pretty good day. I helped with laundry. I helped with dishes. I made food for my family. I put my kids to bed. I was kind to them, right? I'm not saying there is no God. But if we keep reading in Scripture, we get to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus confronts this thinking in the Pharisees and in the people who have come to listen to him, because they also are saying things like, I know there is a God. They're saying things, in fact, like, I am following God better than you are. And Jesus says, you have heard it said, and he uses this phrase a number of times, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And each time Jesus takes that lesson, that teaching, and he flips it on its head. And he says, no, listen, listen, you can't just not murder. You have to stop hating people in your heart because you are intending evil toward others every time you do. And you have to stop thinking it's just about not committing adultery. Every time you lust after another person, it's as good as committing adultery. So you cannot intend evil toward others in this way. 
And similarly, you cannot just hate your enemies. In fact, you should love your enemies and you should pray for those who persecute you. Because if you are intending evil in your thoughts, is as good as doing it with your body. This is working against God's will. Just like when others intend evil toward us, when we intend evil toward others. And it looks lots of ways. In Genesis chapter 42, Joseph's brothers, they come before Joseph. This is the first time that we see Joseph's brothers coming before him when he has been elevated in Egypt. You guys know this story, right? Joseph goes to Egypt as a slave. He's eventually elevated to be lord over all of Egypt, only under Pharaoh, second in command. And his brothers don't know this, and his brothers think that he's dead. And when they come, he looks like an Egyptian, right? He's shaved, he's wearing their clothes. He doesn't look at all like a Hebrew. He looks like an Egyptian. They don't know who he is. And Joseph, Joseph knows who they are. He understands right away what's going on. He had the dream, remember? He dreamt of his brothers bowing down to him, and now here they are. They've come and they've bowed down to him, and they're asking him for food. And he doesn't know how to feel about that. You could imagine, it might be a little emotional, right? Your brothers tried to kill you, sell you into slavery, and now here they are. And you see, as Brooks told us last week, that God has been with you all the way. You see that when you were in prison, God was with you. You see that God was with you when you had the dream. You see when God is with you now when you've had the fulfillment of the dream. And so here Joseph is, he doesn't know what to do. He's confused. And so he's trying to figure it out in the moment. He says, I just need these guys around longer. So he accuses them of being spies. And in Genesis chapter 42, his brothers say, we're not spies, we're honest men. Joseph's brothers say that they're honest men. Well, they're not spies. They're not spies, that's true. But they did try to sell this very person that they're telling that to into slavery. Right? They did conspire to kill him. So honest men, it's a, it's a bit of a stretch. We lie to get what we want. This is how we intend evil. How you and I intend evil. You know what this looks like. It could be all manner of lies. Could be very clearly, I wasn't at the place I said I was. I wasn't doing the set out thing I said I was doing. Or it could just be coloring the truth a little bit to make ourselves look better. We also idolize what we have or what we want. So his brothers... His brothers have to leave a brother there with Joseph so that they can go back. And they go back and they tell Jacob what has happened. And Jacob hears from his sons, he hears the situation. We had to leave one of our brothers there. And the man who sells the food, he says, we can't come back unless we bring Benjamin, your youngest child. And Jacob says, you know what? You can't do that. You can't bring him back. Even though there's a famine in the land, even though Egypt is the only place to buy food, you can't have Benjamin. Because if you do, then I will be, I will be depressed unto death. So Jacob is prepared, understand, Jacob is prepared to kill his whole family by starvation so that he can hang on to Benjamin. Benjamin is his idol. He has idolized his son. The love of his son is more important to him than the life of his family. This is evil that we intend. When we idolize things, when we idolize people, when we make things and when we make people more important than God, 
we are putting ourselves in God's place. I've got it in both points because it happens in both ways. When people intend evil toward us, they are putting themselves in God's place. And when we intend evil toward others, we are putting ourselves in God's place. And this evil that we intend toward others prevents us from being a nation with God as our king because we've made ourselves kings and queens. You can't have both. Right? If you ever want a really interesting sort of historical study, um, look back at Spain uh, and, uh, and Ferdinand and Isabella, two, two monarchs who are, who are co-rulers, who are husband and wife, and who are nevertheless plotting against each other and working to not disrupt the thing that they've built that's marriage, but it's, it's only going to work after their kids because the two of them have two kingdoms. It's a mess. When you've got more than one king or more than one queen, it's a mess. But this is, what we, this is what we strive for. This is what we intend. This is how we try to make things happen. Is we put ourselves in God's place and we say, that's mine. I'm going to take that. If we thought about it, if we thought about it, when we go to lie, we would know that that's not the best way to get what we want. We would know that there are consequences after, but we do it anyway. And when we idolize things and people things we have or things that we want, we know that that's wrong. But we do it anyway. We convince ourselves. We lie even to ourselves. We lie even to ourselves. And we put ourselves in God's place. So these are the things that we intend. But let's talk about God's intentions now. Because you are all familiar with evil. Right? I don't need to tell you. In fact, I didn't need to have those first two points in the sermon because you're well acquainted with evil. You see it done to you all the time. You do it all the time. I do it. This is something that we wrestle with. Even those of us who know that we are saved by grace through faith, we struggle with these things. So let's talk about God's intentions. Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, that God may have compassion on the wicked man. To our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. God's will is good. It is the definition of good. When we talk about God's intentions, we're talking about God intending good. Joseph said this to his brothers. You intended this for evil. God intended it for good. And it's not just those things. It absolutely encompasses all of those daily things. All of those things that his brothers did. All of those things that Joseph did. Whether they were intended for evil or not. God is going to work them together for good. But it's bigger than that. So whatever it is you're thinking about today. Whatever you've got in your mind. That hey I've done this thing. Or others have done this thing to me. And I feel bad. I look at the world and I feel bad about the way the world is working right now. Remember that it's bigger than the way you feel. That God's intentions are bigger than your intentions. Greater, grander, more important even than your intentions. Because he's king. And look at what this king does. This king says, if you are wicked, if you are sinful, if you are intending evil toward others, repent, turn around, go the other direction. Because I can be found. Call on me. I'm near, he says. I'm thinking about things 
differently than you are thinking about them. You're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about this moment. You're thinking about this hurt. You're thinking about the person who's supposed to love you who's not. And those aren't bad thoughts to have, but they're incomplete thoughts because I'm king and I understand the whole. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. He says, I'm bigger. Understand that I'm in control of everything. Not just you and not just your life. So what are his intentions? He wants to bless. Turn with me if you've got a Bible. Let's go to chapter 35 of Genesis and see how God blesses. In Genesis chapter 35, God is blessing not just with good things. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about how blessing is prosperity. It's about wanting to see something grow and develop. This is not just good like it feels good, but look at the purpose in God's blessing. Chapter 35, starting in verse 9. God appeared to Jacob when he came from Paddan Aram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And so he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Jacob wants a place. Ever since he's been a little boy, he's understood that he is the younger child. His name is usurper. His name is heel grabber. He just wants a place. He wants his own thing. He just wants something to hold on to. And God says, no, understand, it's a lot bigger than that. My purpose is greater than your purpose. Your purpose for yourself is just to have mastery over your brother. You just don't want Esau to kill you. You want to have a blessing in your family. You thought of yourself this way. Don't think of yourself this way. Think of yourself as Israel. Use this new name that I've given you and understand that I'm calling you to be a people and a nation. And I'm going to give you all a land and from you are going to come kings. And from you, we know, because the blessing has been passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, all of the nations on the earth are going to be blessed. That's God's intention purposeful blessing. It's care for all people. In Genesis chapter 50, Jacob, I'm sorry, Joseph gives this example to his brothers of how their intentions were bad, but God's intentions were good. And he says, listen, listen, you meant to kill me. You meant to sell me into slavery, but God brought me to Egypt. And because God brought me to Egypt, many peoples, and not just, uh, not just Israel and his family, not just the people of Egypt, but many nations from the surrounding area are saved through the famine because of what happened. God gives his blessing not just to those who follow him, but to the whole earth. Does anybody have any doubt that we could destroy ourselves without God? Anybody have any question in their mind that if God were to just take a nap, that we'd be gone in about 30 minutes? It would not be that hard. We've all had thoughts about how we would destroy the people we don't like. That's something that we engage in. Hopefully as we get older and mature in the faith, it's something we engage in less. But we've all had those thoughts. I don't like this person. Here's how I would like to see their downfall. Even if in your thoughts, you're not the one orchestrating it, right? You can just imagine bad things happening to them. If that's our thought life, if that's how we imagine, knowing what we do about the gospel, understand how important it is that God is holding all things together, that in him all things consist. God is caring for all people. 
And he is caring about our eternal salvation. I said when I started it, we need to think about something bigger. And this is the bigger thing. It's everlasting life. It's life that doesn't end. It's life that doesn't perish or fade. It's life that we don't have now that we can only begin to understand now. Right now, all we can begin to hold on to is this idea that what we have now would continue. But that's not accurate because what we have now is ending. And the older you get, the more you know that it's ending. You feel it in your body. You see it as your friends begin to die. You know that it's ending. But life everlasting is what God has planned. So this is a turning point, I said. Joseph is a turning point. We've been talking about how God has been making a people that was not a people. And now we're going to talk about how God is making a nation where there wasn't a nation. And he wants that nation. His goal is for that nation to become a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of people who go out into the world and they represent God to all of the people in the world. Because Christ lives inside of them. That's his plan. That's his intention. That's his good intention. So let's look at these two passages. Let's look at Exodus and at Mark because this is God's plan at the beginning and now closer to the end. So Exodus chapter 13. If you have a Bible, turn there. Exodus chapter 13, we see what God is doing in the beginning with this new nation. Starting in verse 3. Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord." Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. And you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be a sign uh, to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. And you shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. This is how God starts the nation. He gives them a feast. He gives them a ceremony to remember. He says, this is the beginning of something new. And you're going to have children, and your children are going to have children, and you're going to celebrate this throughout all generations, and they're going to ask, why do we do this thing? And you're supposed to tell them, because at the beginning, we were not a nation, and then God made us a nation. I intend eternal salvation, God is saying to his people. And here's how it starts. Once you are not a people, now you're a people. Once you are not a nation, now you're a nation. And you say, that's, that's the Hebrews, right? That's Israel. Correct. That's Israel. And that is the way it is for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then Jesus comes. Turn over to Mark chapter 14. In Mark chapter 14, we see Jesus talking to his disciples as he is about to about to be crucified. Starting in verse 22. As they were eating, what are they eating? They're eating unleavened bread. This is the feast of unleavened bread. This is the Passover. So this thing 
this thing that God gave to Israel and he said, remember me. This is the start. This is where I make you a nation. Right? Jesus is doing that with his disciples. He took bread and after blessing, he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And then they sung a hymn. They went out the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you shall all fall away for it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. This has got to be so very confusing for the disciples. He says, at the time when they're celebrating this feast of becoming a nation, this feast of remembrance of what it meant to come out of slavery and be a new nation that hadn't been a nation before. He says, listen, um, this bread that you're eating, that's always, it's always encouraged you as a reminder. It's actually my body. And this wine that we're drinking, where we're, we're blessing, and, and, and for those of you who understand the, the ceremony of the Passover, every time they drink, there's an understanding of blessing. This drink, it's actually my blood, he says. So he is telling them to reimagine this whole ceremony. Reimagine everything that you have thought about becoming a nation. Understand now that it flows through me. And he tells them, he tells them even here, right in the last moments about his resurrection. Did you catch it? He said, you will all fall away, verse 27, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. When Israel, as a nation, for the first time left Egypt, they knew what lay ahead was a kingdom, a land, Canaan. They were going to inhabit it. They were going to live there. Now, what Jesus is telling them is that as they leave this life, there is an everlasting kingdom waiting for them and that he is king over that kingdom. You see, God makes a people, he calls a nation, and then he uses them, first his disciples, then their disciples, and now us as priests to seek and save the lost because that's the bigger thing that he's doing. He doesn't want us to do evil. That's true. And if you grew up thinking that church was just about doing the right thing versus doing the wrong thing, understand that you were misled. Because it's true that God doesn't want you to do wrong. He doesn't want you to intend evil to anybody else. But he's doing something so much bigger than that. He's trying to offer salvation to a lost and a dying world. And he wants to do it through you. So if you don't know him today, understand that this is your invitation to know this God, this God that for hundreds of thousands of years has been intending good. When people have been intending evil toward each other, he has been intending not just good toward individuals, good toward those who don't call on him, but good for eternity, forever and ever. This is his plan. This is his good plan for all of us. So this morning, we're going to have communion because we want to remember just as his disciples did, that this is what God's intentions are. That when God says, when God says, I intend for you to live with me forever, that he keeps his word, he keeps his promise. Jesus says this to the disciples in the garden, and then three days later, he is risen from the dead. 
So as the worship team comes up and leads us in song, think about this a minute. Think about God's good intentions, about how they're bigger than yours, because I know that they're bigger than yours, and what it means for him to intend eternal salvation for you.